Hey folks, it's that time of year again. Time for the Hacker Public Radio 24 Hours New Year's Eve show. We encourage everyone to join us for stimulating conversation and maybe send a Happy New Year's greeting to the HBR community. We plan on starting at 10 a.m. UTC, December 31st, also known as 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we will keep the recording going until 12 a.m. UTC, January 1st, also known as 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless people are still on and talking. To join us, all you have to do is install Mumble. It is a Available on all platforms, including iOS and Android. Then just create a nick and go to hackerpublicradio.org for the server details. Connect, join the Hacker Public Radio room, and you're there. If you can't join us in Mumble but would like to hear the show live, we will have a stream up so you can listen. You can go to hackerpublicradio.org for the server details of the stream. So come on and join us. It's always a good time. idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. And my name is Tony and I live in the northwest of England. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and maybe even some old distros we've missed. I have my preferences and Tony has his. Perhaps together we can find some common ground to share with you. The idea of the podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. I like to find distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Ditro Hopper's Digest, episode 18, recorded on Friday the 11th of December 2020. This episode, we're taking on Void Linux and Enso OS. We'd like to hear from you what you'd like to see us take on, be it Debian, Red Hat, Arch, Sousa, Mandriva, Slackware, Gentoo, or perhaps even BSD-based distros. We are distanced and distracted, but as healthy as we can manage, once again, my teeth are not working very well. <laughs> Once again, Dale will be joining us on this episode, and we will have a special announcement at the end of the show. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what did and didn't work for us this month. I've had more attempted installations either not run at all or fail due to not being able to write boot. I think the problem is that it is seeing the USB stick as SDA instead of SDB, so it doesn't want to write boot to SDB no matter what I do. Or another possibility is that the distro being attempted does not use or see UEFI. I have, however, been able to fill up all usable partitions on both my machines, although, as usual, what is on which partition may change at any time. What's going on with you, Dale? I've been using Manjaro Plasma on my uh, Lenovo T460 laptop. It's the one 
the main one I take with me when I go to work. It has been doing fine until one day I couldn't use my application menu. And you press the uh, super key and uh, it would pop up. But whenever I would type anything into it, it would get deleted. It was as if somebody was hitting the delete key as I'm typing. This wasn't happening in any other application or in the terminal. It was suggested to me to temporarily move my .config folder that's in my home directory. As soon as I did that, the problem went away. I didn't even have to log out. It just, like somebody snaps their fingers. I did narrow it down to one of the many dot .files that are in the .config folder, but I didn't have the time nor the patience to go any further. When I move the config folder, a new folder is automatically created, so I just had to go and reconfigure my settings. So what's new with you, Tony? Okay, uh, well, um, as I said on the last show, I've not been too well lately, so my Linuxing has been very light. Uh, I did have a quick gander at Ubuntu Studio 2010, uh, and the new KDE Plasma desktop looks absolutely fantastic. Although, again, I had an issue with trying to do a dual boot on uh, the same as last month with Chaos. Uh, Chaos. But uh, I'm starting to suspect it may be an issue with KDE and the installer, as both were plasma, uh, plasma spins. On the desktop, I did update from 2004 to 2010, and in the installer I've got on one of the drives in my desktop. Uh, and this went very smoothly. But if you're doing this on a production box, I suggest you back everything up before going ahead, as things do sometimes go wrong. <laughs> Despite the dual boot issues, I think Ubuntu Studio is a fine OS for creators as it has all the bells and whistles, audio, video and graphical that you like, you can shake a stick at and a few had never heard of. Uh, I'm hoping to do a full review of it next month, but we'll see how, what happens with the holiday season. So uh, let's move on to updates. Updates where we discuss what we have learned about distros we've already reviewed. I'm still waiting for Bodhi to get into beta. I am trying MX19.3 in a KDE version, definitely more satisfying than the XFCE even though it's still using old plasma. Still, the screen draws are no more pleasing to the eye. Farron OS has updated the latest plasma and it's better than ever. What has caught your attention about the distros you've reviewed for us, Dale? Well... I saw that the Solus team has been updating their desktops. They released Budgie 10.5.2. It contains many fixes, a redesigned sound applet, and a completely rewritten system tray to name a few. They updated to GNOME 3.38 and Plasma 5.20.3, along with the... Uh, Required updates to the uh, QT5 and the KDE framework. Uh, another big update is the Pulse Audio 14. It fixes the many annoyances that were in the uh, version 13. Part of that was uh, HDMI inputs. When you would plug something in, it would automatically switch to it, even though you would have a default set, stuff like that. The biggest news is that they are finally going to update the kernel version. According to an updated forum thread I originally read this summer, 
Josh Strobel. He's the labeled as the experience lead, one of the uh, main devs on the Solus project. He had been testing 5.10 uh, kernel, which is supposed to be the, I believe, the next, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the, on the, the LTS. That's what it is, Dale. Spit it out. So apparently there was a uh, problem with NVMe drives. I'm not sure what the uh, the problem was. I did read some of the technical detail, but apparently it was causing some problems for for the developers. He intends on making the next kernel for Solus uh, 5.10, which is going to be called their current kernel. This is also one of the things that has been delaying the release of Solus 4.2. How about you, Tony? Like I said earlier, I've... Uh... Not really been doing much in the way of Linux this month, so I'm not uh, up to speed with what's been happening uh, out there at the moment. So, shall we move on to uh, our first distro of the month? Dale, what have you got for us? Well, this time, uh, this go-around, I am doing Void Linux. And Void Linux is an independent Linux distribution that uses a rolling release model. It is also considered a minimalist distribution. You can install it on 32-bit or 64-bit computers, and the caveat for the 32-bit is it has to be the i686 class of CPU or later. Additionally, they support the uh, Raspberry Pi single board computers that uses the ARM version 6 or the ARM version 7 processors. Solus uses a packaging system that they created from scratch. Basically, the entire distribution is written from scratch called the X Binary Packaging System or XBPS for short. Void has ISOs for the following desktops. They have Cinnamon, Enlightenment, LXDE, LXQT, MATE, and XFCE. There is also an option to use a root tarball ISO, which is the base minimum to boot and install from. It basically boots you into a terminal shell. There are two big changes over other distributions. First is they use OpenBSD's LibreSSL software versus OpenSSL. The second big change is that they use Runit as the initialization service. So for those of you that don't like systemd, this is an option for you. Runit is used in macOS, BSD, and Solaris. My hardware again is my Lenovo T430. It has a dual-core i5-3320M. 2.6 gigahertz processor, 14-inch display, using the Intel graphics with 4 gigs of RAM and a 240 gig SSD. Now the installation, I chose the XFCE desktop ISO. I downloaded it and wrote it to a USB stick with DD as usual. Apparently, the ISO file was corrupted. I experienced some really weird problems and later configuration problems during the install, and I couldn't tell if it was the operating system or what the, you know, issue was. 
With that said, I would recommend verifying the ISO that you download to make sure it's 100% intact. Most distros have instructions on how to do that. I will put instructions that Void had in their documentation in the show notes. And just to paraphrase uh, what we got here, you download the uh, ISO and you download this uh, SHA-256.txt file into uh, the same directory like in your download folder. Then you type, or you can cut and paste. It's a safe command to cut and paste. And basically goes as SHA-256-SUM, and then put a dash C, then put dash dash ignore hyphen missing, and then type in SHA-256.txt. What that does is it takes the uh, text file as input and then calculates the sum on the ISO file. And if the two match, you've got a good ISO. This is one distro where I really had to read the documentation. It is, a, like I said, a one-off distribution. It is written from scratch. The only thing really that it has in common with other Linux distributions is the GNU tools and the Linux kernel and the desktop. The documentation they have is good but not very detailed in places. It needs to be filled out some more. A good example is how to install it, actually. There wasn't an icon on the desktop or any other obvious click here or do this type instructions on on the desktop. What you need to do is open a terminal and type sudo void hyphen installer. And yes, boys and girls, this is going to be a very terminal-heavy distribution. I don't want to scare people away, but that's how you have to do it in this one. Void uses the uh, NCurses library built into their installer. It's like a graphical installer, but you use the keyboard arrow keys and enter keys to uh, navigate through the screens. If uh, you grew up in the in the DOS era back in the uh, in the 90s and used any of the uh, programs like uh, I think it was called Edit.com and some other programs, it it basically looks like that. I used the uh, wired Ethernet in my room because I didn't want to have to go through and manually type in the uh, wireless settings. So uh, once the installer loaded, you have the typical things like your language, time zone, computer name, etc. It's just a process of pressing the down, up, left, right arrow keys to find your choice and printing enter to uh, select it. After creating the root and user accounts, I selected the bootloader menu. I highlighted the SSD and pressed enter to select it. Then I moved on to partitioning the disk. The partitioning of the drive is done with the partitioning program called CFDisk. When it comes to terminal-based partitioning, I'm very glad that they used CFDisk. It is much easier to use than FDisk or GDisk. GDisk is the uh, GPT version of FDisk. It is menu-driven like the installation program. There is no automatic option for partitioning. To make things easier for me, I just created a root partition and a swap partition. I wanted to delete the partitions that I already had on there from my previous distro review, so I pressed the up arrow key to highlight one of the partitions, then pressed the left and right keys to navigate the menu at the bottom of the screen to the delete option. I then pressed enter and that partition was deleted. I repeated those steps to delete the other partitions. 
If you're apprehensive about using it, watch a YouTube video. You'll find it's very easy once you see it in use. And I have a link in the show notes of uh, a person showing how CFDisk works. I created my 234 gigabyte root partition using the BIOS partition type and marked it as bootable, along with creating the swap partition. I know I could have created a swap file after the install, but I was in an old school mood given how terminal based this uh, install is. After I wrote the changes to the disk, I exited CF disk. The next menu option was file system. This is where you select what you want to use. I selected ext4 for the root on SD1 and swap that is sitting on SDA2. After that, you select install. It's very quick. It is about three to five minutes. It's so much so that I actually thought that it stopped prematurely, but it said it completed. I exited the installer and uh, rebooted the laptop. Now, after it rebooted, I uh, signed into the XFC desktop as the, uh, one of the choices I made of the uh, available ones. And everything appeared fine. My display was at the native resolution. My track point and trackpad was uh, working, though, as you already know, I quickly disabled the trackpad because they annoy me. I'm thinking this is because when I learned how to type, I didn't really like having my hands arched up like you're supposed to, so they more sit down, and a lot of people think it's uncomfortable, but it's fine for me, and I end up bumping the trackpad, and as you know, it just moves the mouse all over the place, so it just annoys me, and I've been like that for over 25-some years, so there's no change in now. I clicked on the network icon in the uh, system tray. I entered my Wi-Fi pass phrase. A few seconds later, I was connected. One thing I did notice was my volume and uh, mute keys were not working on my laptop. And in fact, the red light was on saying that I had it muted and I couldn't unmute it. Then I noticed that I didn't have the uh, applet in my system tray. No, I knew my audio worked because I've used it in other distros and I really can't see it stop working, you know, that quickly between changing uh, distros. So I read about how to install and update packages using XBPS, because obviously there is a software problem. I installed the Pulse Audio and the Alsa Audio Services. I added the Pulse Audio applet to the uh, system tray. Another thing I noticed about Void, services are not loaded automatically. On a lot of distributions, the uh, init system automatically loads your service and you can go about using it. So that was a big learning curve right there. There's a lot of learning curves in this distribution. So after learning about that, I finally had the sound working. I didn't have any hardware issues. The only issue I had was the fact that not many common apps are installed by default. When they uh, say this is a minimalist, they, they really mean this is minimalist. Printing is the uh, same as it was in Slackle 7.3, where you manually configure your printer. The only difference is I actually had to enable the CUPS service and void. Now, for the, uh, the ease of use, as I already mentioned, needing to install the audio support was a rocky start. In my opinion, it should have been installed already. Most applications that require a sound service will need either ALSA or Pulse Audio because... 
that's just the staple in in, uh, in the Linux uh, ecosystem, with uh, also being the old, oldest and also being the most recent next to uh, the upcoming uh, Pipewire. The other reason is Void is meant to be used as a desktop operating system. I would say most people would want to use sound on their computer. I mean, you have, you know, the voice chat systems and people using Zoom and etc. Needless to say, I got very familiar using the XBPS package system. In particular, XBPS-install-s is what you type in to install a package. I installed several apps that other distributions had installed by default. With the exception of the sound support, I can see where you don't want to install many packages by default. That is the point of having a minimalist clean slate to start from. In fairness, I kind of liked it. It is funny in one respect. Instead of spending time uninstalling apps you don't want to use, you get to uh, spend time installing apps you wanted to. This was a very educational process. When something didn't work, I found out what it was and installed it. A short list in general of what isn't installed. There's no office. There's no graphical or terminal-based text editor except for VI. There's no PDF viewer. There's no archive manager. There's no image viewer. I installed bash complete so I could use the tab key to complete file names and folder names. If you've ever noticed in the terminal, if you go and type like ls-l slash etsy and you want to know what the next thing is, you can hit tab and it'll actually come up with choices like, you know, the different folders in in, uh, in Etsy. I also installed the uh, XFCE uh, screen shooter, which is the uh, file is called XFCE4 hyphen screen shooter. It's just the default one that uh, XFCE has already pre-programmed to the uh, print screen key. You can change it to any screen capturing program you want. That's the thing about the void and all these like custom distributions. You can pretty much change everything from from the from the start, even though you can't do that in other distros. Void does support Flatpak, and the Flatpak website actually has instructions for Void listed on their uh, website. You just have to scroll down, and you'll see the uh, the Void logo. The package manager works fairly well. The command switches switches were a bit odd until you understood the meaning behind them. For example, xbps-install-capital-s-lowercase-u updates the system. The capital-s synchronizes the package database, and the lowercase-u is for update. When you install a package, you only use the dash-capital-s. And uh, it's very case-sensitive. You have to make sure you're using the correct case when you're typing in these commands. The search feature is actually in a different program. Unlike apt and uh, other package managers, they have separate programs instead of using different command switches to do querying and um, removing packages and etc. The search feature is xbps-query-r, lowercase s. The dash capital R is the repository. And S means search, which I think is redundant, but I'm sure there's a reason for it. The command switches, like I said, are case sensitive. So if something doesn't work right, make sure you got the case right. 
Oh, and if you forget to do the dash R, capital R, in the query, it will only search what you've installed. So until I realized that, I was searching for some programs that I wanted to install, and I couldn't find them, and I kept on thinking, what? You don't even have this installed? And once I realized I needed the dash R, then all of a sudden I found out that while being a small distribution, it had quite a bit of packages already in it. I'm like, oh, okay, works when you type the command in correctly. The only issue I had was just with the naming of the packages, because some of the packages are not named the same as they are in other distributions. So it's more of doing very basic queries of just basic word you can think of. So it's pretty much, I found it easier, like for like sound things, I just type for sound. Or I just search for the term editor. And their contextual search was pretty good. It brought up a lot of uh, results, which uh, ended up not being too bad. And I have to say that their uh, package service is very quick. I mean, despite the speed of your internet connection, once it's installed, I mean, I've, I've installed 100, 200 packages and oh, mere, I don't want to say seconds, but it wasn't like minutes. I mean, it was just going by like uh, like it's on ice. Now, there is in the notification when you get these updates while you're in the desktop, you need to manually update the, uh, the system from the terminal, which is uh, typical of uh, some of these minimalist distributions. You have to uh, uh, do that. I imagine they could have a notification system, but uh, that's the uh, the old school of way of doing things. Now, I was kind of surprised... Uh, I don't know why, but the uh, packages are actually fairly recent. Like LibreOffice is version 7.0.3-1. Firefox is an ESR, which is the extended support release. And it was recently updated to 7.8.5, so they're using that. Uh, the VLC uh, video and audio player is uh, 3.0.11.1. And my favorite GUI uh, notepad is, or GUI editor, is Notepad QQ. It's at version 1.4.8. Um, it has a nice little feature where if you type something in and you don't save it and you exit the program and you bring it back up, it has what you previously typed in there still. Hey, Dale. Yes. I actually just looked at the Firefox website and the latest ESR is 78.4.1, so I think uh, they may have numbered ahead or something. <laughs> oh, really? Because when, when I did some checking uh, a couple weeks ago when I was typing a lot of this in, in into the script here, I may have just been my, my uh, as my favorite phrase, is my tricks playing eyes on me. <laughs> well, 78.4.1 was just released on November, November 10th of 2020, so... Well, considering that they are rolling and they do, you know, like I said, roll their own, they could have some patches in there for the for their own right. um, their own uses. Because that's the one thing about you'll learn if you're new to Linux is with the open source software, they can take it and compile it and compile it to how they want it to work. So that's the uh, the joy of distro hopping is when you find some program or something you're used to using that works a certain way and then it works a different way in another distribution. That's probably why it's a uh, um, usually it doesn't go to that extreme, but uh, that can happen. Well, sorry to interrupt. Uh, carry on with the kernel. 
Yeah. Yeah. The uh, kernel is actually yesterday it updated to 5.9. Um, I don't have it powered on right now to uh, give you the uh, current 5.9, but I should have written it down, but it was late last or late this morning when I finished typing all this in. But uh, at the time of this writing, which was a couple weeks ago, they were using 5.8.18. But like I said, they just uh, updated last night to a 5.9, which uh, is pretty nice because I think uh, 5.10 is going to be released here probably the end of the month or the 1st of January. And rumor has it it's going to be the next LTS. But uh, that hasn't shown up on kernel.org. I, I checked uh, this morning and... They uh, haven't updated it yet. And the XFCE is at 4.14, which is uh, was released, I think, a couple years ago, which is the current one. The only issue I had with apps was with Redshift and I guess it's Parole Media Player. I've never heard anybody say it. Parole, it's P-A-R-O-L-E. I never used it, so I've heard of it. When I tried to con- uh, configure Redshift to uh, detect my location, it would not, even though the uh, location service was working. In case you don't know, Redshift is a program that will change the uh, color temperature of your monitor based on the time of day. So when it gets later out, it'll lower the color temperature so that you're not looking into the sun when it's like 1 in the morning on your uh, monitor. Which I do just because I uh, I wear glasses and you have the glare problem and your eyes get tired because of uh, wearing them. So, oh yeah, the apparel, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's weird. I'm not sure if this was a DBus problem or the way they compiled it. I don't know, but you couldn't adjust the volume. You couldn't mute it. It's basically stuck at like a static volume. And I thought that was really weird. And uh, the other thing I thought was kind of weird, as I didn't have this in the notes, but another thing I thought was weird is I tried to remove it because I figured, well, I'm not going to use it if it's not going to work. And I tried to do the uh, XBPS-remove, you know, P-A-R-O-L-E, and it said that it was not going to because it depended on XFCE, which, like I said, I've never used Parole, so... I thought it was odd that it depended on files that XFCE used and they wouldn't want to remove it, so I don't know. But as far as memory usage goes, uh, on a fresh boot, I used the uh, the free command, and I typed in free-h, which is human-readable. It makes it uh, formatted better to read. And it showed about 340 megabytes. I don't know about you, Moss, but I'm thinking that's probably one of the lowest memory usages that I've seen. Well, that's pretty much on par with Bodhi, but that's about as light as you get, really. Yeah, I mean, you really you can't get much lower than that. If I can remember from 25 years ago, you'd compile the kernel just to remove all the stuff you didn't need to try to get everything into under 512 megs of RAM. And I can remember having memory usages in the uh, 200 megabyte range back when you only had like one or two megs of memory. Now, once you actually start using the uh, the computer, I got up to around one and a half uh, gigabytes. I had Telegram running and uh, a couple tabs in Firefox. And I also want to note that I actually lived in this distribution. I actually spent probably 75% of the uh, four weeks in the uh, 
in the distro and I uh, wanted to give it you know all of my attention because it also kind of reminded me of uh, my days of Slackware and uh, early days of Debian. So actually I was quite enjoying using it after I got the uh, understanding of how the packages, the names of the packages like XPPS dash install instead of, you know, app get and etc. Now, uh, if you need help, they have a fairly well-documented website for uh, how to install it and how to configure some of the programs and everything. The uh, other is the uh, YouTube. I watched some YouTube videos of uh, that people have created about uh, Void. But most of the stuff I did, I learned through the, uh, through the documentation. You have two ways of getting support. One is from IRC, which is in pound sign Void Linux on irc.freenode.net. And the second is the Void Linux subreddit on Reddit. And apart from just reading some search results that were Reddit, I've never done anything of Reddit. So I don't know how that will work, but apparently they're, they're active in there. So if you do need help and you are a Redditor, you'll, you'll feel at home. Now, I haven't tried dual booting Void, but considering that it does use Grub version 2, I don't really see any reason why you would have any problems. Though that could be as Amaz has learned with dual booting some of these operating systems, your famous last words, right, Moss? It's easy. Anyone can do it. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, especially with, uh, with a lot of the distros going to UEFI now. And uh, yeah, heaven forbid you try to dual boot anything with uh, Solus using UEFI because it's very protective of its directory that it stores the EFI files in. But I digress. Now, as far as stability, I didn't have any problems with it ever locking up, any programs crashing, anything like that. Whenever there was an update, it applied, didn't have any problems. It is kind of an, an odd thing that when I do try to do like XBPS hyphen install capital S lowercase u, and it will do its update. It just stops at the command at the um, terminal prompt command prompt, and it doesn't say it finished, and it didn't, but it didn't give an error. So I've pretty much assumed that you didn't need to know. <laughs> yeah, it's on a need to know basis, and you just didn't need to know. But as I think back to the days of Madriva and Slackware and stuff like that, I don't remember them telling you that they were done either. But that was a long time ago. Now, some uh, similar distros you might be interested in is, of course, Arch, which is the, uh, even though it was released in, what, 2002, 2003, it's the granddaddy of minimalism. And you get have fun going through the Arch wiki and installing it, which is a very labor-intensive, not impossible, uh, adventure at, at the keyboard. And I also think Debian, because if you do the net install ISO of Debian, you get a pretty much minimalist install, but it at least gives you applications that you need to use. Of course, that's just me being an old school Linux user. Some of these programs, some of you may never use, so I may be wrong. And another minimalist uh, distro that I would say is Antics. They pretty much primarily use window managers. They don't really use too much in the way of a desktop environment. So you'll you'll find things like IceWM or Enlightenment 
or uh, like black box type uh, window managers. And I don't have this in the notes, but I think uh, if you're of the BSD persuasion, I think FreeBSD is pretty much a very minimalist distribution or operating system rather. Because um, when you're done with the install, you're presented with the terminal prompt and you have to install whatever it is you want. There's nothing else there except for the core utilities. So we go down to my ratings for this fine distribution. All things considered, for new users, as much as I really enjoyed and love this, using this operating system distribution, I have to say it's probably 5 out of 10. I mean, if you can get through the install and get the sound working and learn how the uh, package thing uh, works, I think you'll be okay, but if you're really not a keyboard person, you do not like typing commands, you're going to be in misery. Hearing you talk about it, I'd say more than a one or a two. Yeah, a new user will not be happy when they're faced with Void Linux. It's just that simple. <laughs> yeah, I was I was given some liberties here because do I have the, always have this problem? I think I've talked with you and Tony. I think about this, or at least in the in the uh, Mintcast group, it's hard to relate what like new user like you know the amount of hand holding and and coaching that a person would need. And it's hard for me because I've been using Linux for so long. It's been almost 30 years now. It's like this is this was sort of like an eye-opener thing for me because I didn't really feel like a new user, but I didn't feel like an experienced user using this because there's more like, okay, that's not working. Got to go back to the documentation and type of thing. So I honestly was going to do maybe a three on there, but I'm thinking, well, if you're of the persuasion that is distro hopping, and you did some research, you just didn't blindly go, oh, void, I'm going to try that. If you actually did some reading and find out what it is like, I think a person would probably wouldn't have even downloaded that, so knowing that it's like that. That's why I was sort of on the fence. That's basically why I gave it a five, because it's like, it's definitely not a seven, because, I mean, I would say a lot of people wouldn't even get past the partitioning. Exactly. That's why it's a two or a three. <laughs> yeah, because it. That, that's okay. It's your rating. I just wanted. I just wanted to mention to new users that they might want to think about. <laughs> yeah, I I changed. No, I changed that. You talked me off the ledge there. Because no, I was just me. I just give the benefit of the doubt. Because nothing to see here. Move along. Uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, that's what I'm saying. It's sort of like if you can get through the install, which for me, it was more of like the fish out of water type of feeling because I, I boot in the XFCE and I'm like using the live image. And I'm like, okay, I want to install it, obviously, because I'm going to review it. And I'm like, no icon. Hmm. Go through the menu. It's not in the menu. Okay, there's several hundred packages in here. I have no idea what which one of these does the install, so I find... In the documentation, I found out the uh, what you used to install it, and I'm like, okay. So, yeah, I guess 3 out of 10 would probably be fair. But an experienced user, I'd say probably 8, eight out of 10, 7 out of 10. It's just going to be more of a learning curve and muscle memory for the commands you have to type in. And if you've never used CFDisk, um, you'll have to use how to you know, learn how to do that. But it's very easy to use. I I think just because of FDisk where you have to type everything in and there's no feedback. You actually have to make sure that what you typed in worked. 
And just to move along, there was no hardware issues. I'm getting that 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help was 8 out of 10. I didn't have to talk to anybody, but I heavily used the documentation. Um, ease of use, 7 out of 10. Just some paper cut things where things don't work, like the screen, you know, screen capturing. And you have no sound when you first install. Stability is 10 out of 10. So I'm just going to give this whole thing... Originally, I was going to give 7 out of 10, but I can say probably it's going to be probably maybe a 5 out of 10, 5 to 7 out of 10. And my final comments is, this is a very stable, usable distro with some caveats. If you're wanting to boot up the installation ISO, click through the menu in the uh, install program, reboot, install your favorite apps. This is not the distro for you. If you like the idea of starting from a base and installing only the apps you want, and you don't want to spend the time installing Arch, and you also don't mind learning how to install and configure the distro, then I would recommend checking this distro out. It has a very recent kernel and applications, and it also has support for Flatpak. So, what do you have for us, uh, Moss? Now over to you. Okay, I'm reviewing Enso OS 0.4. They seem to think it's a beta, even though it's based on Ubuntu 20.04.1. It has some things borrowed from elementary OS and a taskbar using Plank. It has a flat finish and a low memory overhead. On the downside, the version number is 0.4, so it still considers itself in beta. My hardware, my laptop's a 2014 model System76 Kudu 3 with a 17.3 inch screen, an i7 processor, an Intel graphics, 16 gigabytes of RAM, and a 1 terabyte SSD. Installation ease and issues. This is a distro which uses Ubiquity Installer, so I got it installed easily and simply without having to deal with installing Grub thanks to the handy dandy dash dash no dash bootloader option. Everything went smoothly and quickly. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. I had some trouble installing programs using the Ngrampa Archive Manager, so I downloaded GDebi. Using Funar, GDebi would run and then close. I literally had to run GDebi from Terminal to get the packages installed. The team would do itself a favor to work out their GDebi issues or use QAPT for this purpose. The Application Manager is easy to use, except that once you open a category... There is no apparent way to go back to the category list. I solved this issue by clicking on popular on the menu and then clicking categories again. That's a bit on the clunky side. I also note that the window controls are on the top left rather than the more common top right. I was reminded of Ubuntu Unity. Every time I boot Enso, it says there's a problem, although it does not tell me what the problem is and asks if I would like to report it to the team. I did so the first few times and haven't since. I then noticed that I don't have a connection to the internet. My Wi-Fi is disabled. I go click the box to enable it, and it connects to my Wi-Fi right behind my chair, and all is well. Next boot, same thing. I have reported this in what serves as a forum, but there has not been any activity in several days. I reported this to the GitHub slash GitLab stream, which functions as a distro forum, I made my post on the 30th of November, and there's only been one post since then, which was not a response, but another someone reporting a problem they had. More bad news. Plank, the task manager, somehow wiped itself while I was trying to configure it, and I couldn't get it 
back, so I had to do a complete reinstallation. Overall, while I have not been a fan of XFCE, using Plank for the taskbar makes it easier to swallow. I just wish I knew how I made it go away or how I could have gotten it back without reinstalling. It is also interesting to note that the updater has to search through 32 sources. By comparison, Pop! OS searches only 6. Ease of use. This distro is very easy to use. I didn't have any problems with the desktop or software. I did have some issues with the desktop not completely rewriting after closing something, but it corrects itself in a few seconds. I tried to configure the Plank dock and could not get the configuration app to load. There is a skinny icon in Plank named Frank, which has no function. And as you can't open the config file, it stays there. In addition, being their own distro, a lot of applications have names you won't recognize. For instance, the terminal is named Sakura. So if you're looking for an app and you don't know the Enzo name of it, you may be looking for a while. The multitasking mode, Enzo's way of doing multiple workspaces, is unusual but is very clear and easy to use. Kudos to whoever came up with this. Memory use. At rest with nothing open, Stacer reports 1.4 gigabytes RAM use, much more than you would expect from a light distro. However, with two Firefox tabs open as well as Discord and Telegram, Enzo is using only 2.7 gigabytes. On the disk space side of the equation, my entire installation is only 6.9 gigabytes with my games and free office installed and LibreOffice and Thunderbird removed. As a side note, I have started using LibreOffice 7 now that they've fixed some of the things that I've been asking for since uh, OpenOffice. And so I may be removing LibreOffice less often, if at all, or maybe making sure it's updated to 7 So since a lot of distros are still putting 6.4 in. Ease of finding help. On the plus side, Enzo is based on Ubuntu 20.04. On the minus side, there appears to be only a small forum on Gitter featuring the entire one-man team working on this distro. So if you need help, you will likely need to stick to with Ubuntu sources, which are many and easy to find. When I logged into Gitter, it immediately put me into the Farron OS Gitter, which I'd already been a member of. I eventually got to the right room, but they need a more stable forum than just an open question and someone eventually answers list. I posted about my problem with Wi-Fi not loading at boot time in the little error window on November 30th, had no response. I'm repeating myself. Indeed, there's only been one post to the Gitter since then, someone else needing help with something and getting obviously no response as of yet. Plays nice with others. I had zero trouble with it working in all my other distros, and I have nine others on this machine with, I think I filled in the tenth, so I have ten total distros on this machine. Stability. Yes, this is a beta release, but it uses stock Ubuntu Core, so it should be just as stable. The Plank Dock has some issues. Similar distros to check out, Ubuntu Unity, MX Linux, Zorin OS Lite. Now, I did mention it has a very flat feature to it, but when you hover your mouse over one of the flat buttons, like if you're going to close a window, a little bitty black X shows up in the middle of that flat red circle. So it's, it's helpful. It does actually try and guide you through things. Ease installation, new user 9 out of 10, experienced user 10 out of 10, hardware issues 7 out of 10, ease of finding help 4 out of 10, ease of use 7 out of 10, plays nice with others 9 out of 10, stability 8 out of 10, and overall rating 7 out of 10. In my final comments, this distro at this stage of its development is less than some of its parts, and it needs a few more parts to make it really rock. 
However, it's a great start. I might hang on to it to see how it grows over the next few months or at least check back in on it. While it is not really a light distro, that is how it seemed to be aimed, it's a much nicer experience than I've had with similar distros such as MX Linux. So let's move on to new releases. In new releases, from November 4th to today, December 11th, Alpine 3.12.2, Zenwalk 15.0-2012.10, EasyOS 2.5.3, Archman 2020.12.09 XFCE, Crux 3.6, Endless 3.9.1, Garuda 201205, Blue Star 5.9.11, Debian Edu 10.7, Debian 10.7, Xtix 20.12, Reborn OS 2020 2020.12.04, T2 20.10, Sparky Linux 2020.12, Raspi OS, I believe that's a renaming of what was Raspbian, 2020-12-02, AV Linux 2020.12.03, Manjaro 20.2, Arch 2020.12.01, Univention 4.4-7, Black Arch 2020.12.01, GhostBSD 20.11.28, Nitrux 2020.11.29, Snarl Linux 1.1, Neth Server 7.9, Proxmox 6.3 VE, AV Linux 2020.11.23, GUIX System 1.2.0, Open Mamba 2020.11.22 Lite, System Rescue 7.01, Gparthead 1.1.0-8, 4M Linux 34.2, KOS 2020.11, Volumio 2.853, Karoshi 13.0.1, Kali Linux 2020.4, Tails 4.13, IP Fire 2.25-Core152, Cloud Ready 85.4.0, Midnight BSD 2.0, Primtux 6, Kodachi 7.6, Arco Linux 20.11.9, Oracle Linux 8.3, Endian Firewall 3.3.2, CentOS 7.9.2009, Proxmox 1.0 Backup Server, and MX Linux 19.3. <sighs> Woo! Applause, <laughs> applause. <laughs> that, that was a marathon. Especially with new teeth. It usually is. <laughs> wow. And that was mostly in... Like one or two breaths. I mean, that's I impressive. I do my best. Huh? Shall we move on to feedback? Yeah, let's. let's go on. Feedback from episode 16 blog. Hey Moss, heard on one of your podcasts about another Grub hijack that you experienced. On Biosystems, installing non-master Grubs to the partition boot record usually does the trick. However, I've converted my newer desktop and laptop to use UEFI and have found that Grub updates change the boot order, EFI Boot Manager, so it takes control over refind. Grr, grr, more stuff to research. 
another major annoyance is that I haven't figured out how to uninstall Grub completely from Ubuntu 20.04. It just wants to replace Grubify with something Grub else. More Grr. TIA Mike. Update. Found that Grub removal cannot be done in one step. First, I had to remove the Grub EFI asterisk packages, then the grub2-common, then the rest. Don't forget to remove the grub asterisk files from EFI slash Ubuntu and possibly elsewhere. Of course, install Refine now in the Ubuntu 20.04 repo before rebooting. Update 2, Senior Brain Cramp. Lastly, use EFI Boot Manager command line to verify that Refine is the first boot manager to get control. Ah, that was all very interesting. <laughs> I still don't play around with uh, Grub that much. Anyway, uh, moving on, we uh, had an email from John Wallace. He wrote to us uh, about a laptop he was planning on installing Linux to, and he wanted a little bit of advice, but it turned out to be uh, dead. So uh, he said this in a follow-up email. Dear Tony... Thank you for your email. Very uh, timely article in Computer Active, which is a UK magazine, pointed me in the direction of laptops direct for a second-hand laptop. I'm considering getting a refurbished Lenovo C250 Core i5 model that has 8GB RAM and a 256GB SSD. Sufficient capacity for me to set up a dual-boot system with Mint and OpenSUSE. If I do buy the Lenovo, then the laptop that Julie bought me for Christmas will be set up with Fedora. Uh, And then John said, I'm praying for your wife with regards to the biopsy results, uh, which I mentioned uh, on last month's show. She'd gone in for a little procedure. Kind regards, John. Just in response to that, it sounds like a good plan. Thanks, John. Everything went fine with uh, the wife's test and uh, all the results were uh, positive. So we're we're all very relieved. But uh, yeah, thank you very much. Shall we move on to announcements? Announcements. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors, or by direct donation through sponsors or PayPal. I have one recurring sponsor. Many thanks to SK Beans for joining up. I am very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. At this time, Tony and I would like to officially welcome Dale Miracle to the Distro Hoppers Digest team. He has taken the time and effort to contribute to the show for three episodes now, usually reviewing distros that Tony and I would would blanch at doing. Welcome, Dale, and I guess we have to re-record our opening and closing sequences next episode. Yeah, welcome, Dale. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to uh, join uh, join the team. It's been fun to pass, what? Three times now? At any rate, we would like to thank the Mintcast crew for our use of their mumble room. Our next show will be recorded on or about January 13th. That could move based on uh, Tony's health and Dale's availability. Visit our website at https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com and follow us on MeWe, Telegram, and the Mintcast Discord groups. Dale is on Telegram as at Dale underline CDL, email dmiracle74 at gmail.com, and you can contact either Tony or me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Before we go, 
We would also like to thank all those who make this project possible, starting with the Mintcast podcast team for allowing us to use their Mumble server, Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program, Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show, Joshua Lowe for work on our logo, all those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkit, and for all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. And thanks to the rest of the Mintcast team for letting us use their Discord channel and lots of encouragement. We shall be back next episode. Thank all of you for listening. (laughs) 